All right, let me pray, and I'll preach. Sound good? Here we go. Hey, God, thanks so much for your word. Uh, I see it open in the laps of many of my friends and family here at the church. Uh, we want to read what it says. We want to become what it uh, prescribes. Uh, we want to we be changed, God, by this experience uh, in, in your word this morning. So, so lead us to truth. L- let us have ears and let us hear with them <laughs> uh, the things that you have to say. There, there's people from all kinds of uh, journeys and, and, and backgrounds in here. Some folks uh, haven't started their walk with you yet. Some folks have been doing it for a long time. Uh, there's everybody in between. God, we all want to move forward in this journey with you. Uh, so show us who you're like so that we can be like you and uh, follow you in the things uh, that you've given us to, uh, to walk with you in. Uh, I pray this, God, asking you to get me out of the way, speak in my place. I pray it all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Ever, ever been asked to do something that you thought was impossible? Right? Like, like in gym class, climb the rope. Not happening. Anybody been there? Or maybe your kid asked you, you know, for that thing that was way outside your budget for, for Christmas. And you're like, hey, I don't know if you think, you know, I'm Warren Buffett over here, but it's not happening. Anybody ever had one of those? I find that most of the time, though, uh, that when I'm asked to do something that I think it's impossible, it's not that it's so much impossible, it's just that I don't want to do it. Like, uh, like has anybody ever been asked to wear the, op- the, the, uh, the, uh, the uniform or the hat of a team that you hate? Hate's a strong word, but let's use it, shall we? Uh, like, you're not going to catch me in a Yankee hat. I know some of you love them. I think it's great that you're from there and you like that team. You can be wrong. Go ahead. It's, it's okay. But I'm just, I'm just I, I'd, I'd have a hard time perpetrating. I couldn't do it. Or, or eating a tomato. Anybody here like tomatoes? Again, that's your problem. But uh, I'm just not a big fan. And so you could lay, you know, the ripest, sweetest, most beautiful. And I just still wouldn't. I, now, if I was on a mission trip somewhere, I'd eat it to the glory of God. But if you just put something in front of me, uh, like if it's on my hamburger when it comes to, at lunch today, it's coming off. I'm not using that, all right, because it's nasty, all right? It's just slimy, and it's nasty. Grind it up, put it in a salsa, I'll dip a chip in that all day long. But, but if you want me to eat like a raw tomato, I'm out. I'm not doing it. And it's not because it's impossible. Like I could fit it in my mouth. I could ingest and swallow. I just don't want to do it. That's what makes it impossible. Ever read the Bible? Felt that way about some of that stuff in there? I mean, I suppose I could do that. But that just doesn't seem. I just don't know if I can. Like, we read some of it last week. Jesus is in the middle, in the text that we're starting. We're starting the book of Luke. We're finding out who Jesus is. Today we're going to find out that Jesus is the cheek turner. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But last week we were studying, and this is what Jesus said. He starts off his sermon with four blessings. Blessed are those uh, who are poor. Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are those who weep. Now, all kind of like, you know, uh, hard things to maybe understand on their face. But, but, but he gets to this fourth one, and he says, Blessed are you when people hate you, and, and when they exclude you, and when they revile you, and they spurn your name. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down, Jesus. Slow down. You know, four things there on this whole hate front, right? He says, But blessed are you when people hate you on account of the Son of Man. All right, so, so if he just stopped there, maybe we could just kind of think, you know, hypothetically or thematically or whatever, you know, just it's kind of this uh, uh, metaphorically, you know, just conceptually we could understand this. But then he goes on and he makes it a command. Here's what he says. He says, rejoice. This is the imperative. Got to do this. He tells his followers, rejoice in that day. 
on the day that you're persecuted and hated and reviled and spurned and excluded. Rejoice. And in fact, let me, let me give you some calisthenics. Leap for joy. Jump up and down. Uh, now, there's been things in my life that have, have caused me to jump up and down. Has anybody ever gotten so excited you hugged a stranger? I've done that. Anybody ever done that? You got some good news and you're just like, ah! <laughs> and then, oh, sorry, I don't know you. Yeah, I mean, there are things in life that we literally will leap for joy over. Agreed? Maybe some of you are like, no, I'm not a leaper. All right, well, whatever your mode is. But, but this, okay, leaping for joy over being hated? I'm not seeing the math. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, but listen, the, the world has, has basically made it a habit of when you're hated, hate back. In fact, when someone wrongs you ten times, it's coming back at you tenfold, man. Do not mess with me. It's all hip-hop up in here. Because I will bring it. I will bring the wood. You will not like this. That, that, that's, that's our natural. So, so, you know what? In the Jews, they kind of they adopted, they understood the natural bent of things. When people are hated, people are going to hate them ten times back. And so they said, well, we've got to limit that. And so this is what the Jews did. They made up a rule that said, listen, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Yeah, if someone wrongs you, you can wrong them back, but you can't go over, top, you can't go over the top. You, gotta, you just got to make it equal. It's got to be commensurate. You know, you steal my goat, I steal your goat, whatever. But Jesus gets a hold of that Levitical law, and he says, you guys, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, someone smacks you on the face, turn the other cheek to them also. Rejoice. James talks about it. Consider it joy when you experience various trials. It's a good day when it's a bad day. That's the Christian theme song. So you had a bad day. Yay! Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. In heaven, us doing this is rewarded and celebrated. He's going to carry on. Look what he says. He's going to carry on in the verse we're going to start in today. Verse 27 says this. It says, but I say to you who hear. Same sermon. Jesus is still preaching. I say to you who hear, love. I want to say this together just so we can all have a tumble out of our mouths. Ready? Love your enemies. How you doing, church? Huh? That's easy, right? I mean, we, you know, that just comes natural. When people hate us and revile us and spurn us and exclude us, first of all, we rejoice, jump for joy, and then when it comes to them, we love them back. It's just what we do. No, it's not. If you've been on the planet, if you've read a history book, it's not what humans do. But it's what Jesus told us to do. It's interesting. You'll see this often. I prayed about it a little bit. Uh, Jesus will start a, a portion of his teaching with, with this kind of phrasing. He who has ears, let him hear. Uh, he, he says a, a, a form of it here. He says, I say to you who hear. What's he basically uh, giving a set to? He's, he's basically uh, allowing for the fact that there's going to be people in his, in, within earshot. that They can make out the language that he's using. But they're just not... <laughs> they're just not hearing what he's saying. They don't buy it. They're not going to do it. 
They don't believe it. And so Jesus says, hey, y'all, don't just, li- don't just listen to me. Hear me. This matters. Love your enemies. That word love there is big. Uh, a lot of, lots of times in the, in the Bibles that you and I read, there, there are Greek words in the New Testament that have been translated. And you've you got to kind of know the Greek words behind the English words to really appreciate what's going on. Some of you are along in the tooth and the faith. You could probably figure out which Greek word this love here is. There's four of them in the uh, New Testament. Stergo is just kind of like a natural, like I love hamburgers. It's kind of this like throwaway word for love, okay? Uh, you got uh, philia, which is, you know, Philadelphia. It's the brotherly love thing, all right? It's this, uh, this you love me, I'll love you. Kind of this, you know, love for love exchange. You got eros, which is that mm, tingly love, right? It's not just romantic, though. It's that feeling or emotion of love, all right? But then you got this word that the New Testament church kind of took for its own. Now, that Jesus kind of took for his own. It's this Greek word agape. And agape is this word for love that basically, well, it's, it means love anyway. If you want to just have a quick definition for the Greek word agape, it just means love anyway. And, and what that means is that it's not conditional. It's not predicated on what you do to me back. I'm going to love you anyway. It's not predicated on what you did to me before. I'm going to love you anyway. That, now, who here is glad, those of us who are kind of in this faith, who here is glad that God loves us anyway? Anybody here glad that God loves us? Okay, some of you are. That's great. I'm, a, I'm numbered among you because I know uh, like David sa- uh, sang in his song in, in, in Psalm 51, for I know my transgressions and my sins are ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight, right? I know my stuff and I am so grateful that there is a God who loves me anyway, right? But that God who loves us anyway wants us to love each other anyway. He told us as much. What was the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and then love others as you love yourself. You know who's numbered amongst the others? Your enemies. They're in that subheading, that grouping of others. You got to love them anyway. So how are you doing with that? How am I doing with that? Sometimes good. There's probably, you know, sometimes where I'd have to admit, I'm not doing real great with that. I didn't think before I spoke. I still harbor bitterness. I pray that through this next 30 minutes, you, you think of your enemies. You, well, who are they? Well, in the context, enemies here, as Jesus is speaking of them, are those who are outside the faith who are persecuting us on the count of our faith in the Son of Man, Jesus. Remember, he said that, you know, jump for joy, leap for joy when you are persecuted for my name's sake. So the specific context is anybody who would come against us who doesn't believe like us, and they would hate us because of what we believe. Now, we're, we're blessed to be growing up in America where that's not a huge problem. Most of you weren't worried about your houses uh, being burnt down after you left them this morning because you went to church. Most of you aren't going to get in your cars and wonder if you're going to make it home alive. And that's the grace of God, just so you know. You being allowed to come to church freely and worship freely and believe freely, grace of God, because that's not how it's rolling in other parts of the world today. In other parts of the world today, you could be uh, ostracized in your culture, 
lose all your belongings. I have no way to gain gainful employment. You could be killed, right? Happens in the world today. And that's, that's who Jesus is speaking of specifically when it comes to enemies. But if someone comes against us and persecutes us for our faith, in our culture it's more stuff like this. Like uh, you go to high school, any high school students in the room? There might be some of you. You go to high school and if you stand up for Jesus, you're going to get ridiculed by some people. They're going to they're gonna make fun of you for believing in an invisible God or, or for having some kind of moral standard that the rest of the culture in your high school doesn't accept. They're going to just think you're morons. And you, you're going to have to suffer exclusion perhaps, being reviled, being made fun of. Yeah, that's, that's a form of persecution. Some of you are going to go to work tomorrow, and uh, you've been held back for promotions for years because you go by the book. And that's just not the way up the ladder at your place. I mean, if you, if you want to, you know, get ahead in your job, you're going to have to well, do like the rest of us, which is subvert the system. But because you've made a, a, a standard of, of not doing that, you kind of stick out. My wife, my wife is a, when we were first married, she worked at a tea room. I mean, it was like a part-time job. She was a waitress. She served in the tea room, and she reported her tips. That's just so you know. That's legal. You're supposed to report your tips. Some of your servers, you didn't know that. Welcome to America. You're supposed to report those things, okay? Well, in her, in her, in her little, you know, there was three other waitresses there. Or two, I don't even know. There was like three of them total. And one waitress... I mean, as in the 23 years that Eleanor and I have been married, this, is the hard, this, this woman came at her hard over the fact that she was reporting like $25, $30 of tips a day. Why? Because she was going to blow it in this woman's mind for the rest of them who weren't reporting them, and I don't even know what the benefit was. I'm not a, an accountant. But she, she was just so sure that, and, and so, she, I mean, she made it almost impossible for Eleanor to work in this place. She made it so hard for it, right? And it's all because Eleanor just reported her tips. That's what you're supposed to do. I had a but you know a guy a guy I'm, I'm working on a house right now we got all our permits if you're wondering a lot of you guys are asking me about our house thank you for for being concerned um, uh, we are our own HGTV show right now without the cameras and uh, uh, we're fixing up an old house and we finally got our permits done it took a long time for this whole process to be done early on in the process we bought the house in, in early January and one of the one of the guys you know who could have contracted with me says well you're not going to get permits are you he says this to me and I was like well that's the law right. He says, well, yeah, but your house is way back in the woods. No one will ever come back here. You can get it all done half the time, half the price. And I was like, well, you know what? That sounds like it's illegal. Well, you know, tomato, tomato, right? You know, and uh, I was like, well, I don't think I'm going to do that, and I don't think you're going to work for me. God bless you, right? Anyway, i got to keep going. Those are the specific enemies, the people who would persecute us for our faith. But there's, listen, there are pop-up enemies. Anybody get pop-up windows on your screen? Just a nuisance, aren't they? You know, you're just going along, you're like, ah, you try to find the exit, get it out of there real fast. There's pop-up enemies. There's enemies. Just, there are enemies in waiting everywhere you go. Because you're going to do something, not mean to tick them off. You're going to tick them off. Like, you're going to be driving home today. Someone's going to get cut off on 60, and someone's going to hang an arm out the window and give you the, you know, the number one sign, and, uh, and you... That, that you got to decide. How am I going to? How am I going to? Am I going to speed up and, and <laughs> eye for an eye, tooth for the tooth, finger the, for the finger, or am I going to love that that person who's become my enemy, my pop up enemy? Sometimes you go to work and your boss had a a bad report from on high and he takes it out on you, pop up enemy. Sometimes you come home, your kid had a rough day at school, 
and they take it out on you. Pop-up enemy. How are you going to deal with your pop-up enemies? Jesus is going to tell us. Three questions I want to answer today. Hopefully I'll get through them all. First of all, how do I love my enemies? Jesus is going to tell us that. Secondly, why do I love my enemies? Jesus is going to explain that. And then what do I get if I love my enemies? Let's get through these things so that you can go home and love your enemies. How do I love my enemies? Jesus says, uh, first thing you got to do is this. You love them with one action, and that's that agape love. You love them anyway. I say it's one action. It's every action. Every action that you come to to someone who has hated you, it should be wrapped in, enveloped in, a wash in the love of God. You love them anyway. First way we're going to see that manifest is that when you're hated, you love by finding and doing the good. You find the good in someone, and then you do good to them. Look what Jesus said. He says this in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. Yeah, that's the world system. No. No, the world says hate those who hate you. Do bad to those who do bad to you. But Jesus says no. And here, here, when he says do good to those, it's basically a two-part thing. First of all, find good in those who hate you. How hard is that sometimes? Anybody? Because we can find all the bad. We can enumerate that list really fast. She's this and this and this and this and this. I hate her. Signed me. Right? But here's what you got to do. Before you can start doing the good for someone, most of us have to find some good in that someone. Because we don't, it, it, it's easier for us to respond to the good in them than it is for us to respond in the bad or the hate. So it's, it, this is crucial. Find the good. Find the good. I had a, a brother, a uh, military guy, came up to me after. And there's lots of bad people in the world. And many of our soldiers are off fighting them. And he says, you know what, Mark, in, in my faith, I've wrestled with this. I don't know how to find the good in my enemy, my literal going-to-kill-me enemy. That, that's a tough one. I, 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 I've never had to do that, but I, I get that. That's tough. But here's what we agreed on. That enemy, that guy, no matter what his creed or faith, no matter what his mission, no matter how set against you know, harming him or me or us is, he's, he's a creation of God. He's a soul. And so if I, if I get past all of his rhetoric and all of his, all of his hate and evil and all those things and I get around that to, he's just like me. Made by God, for God, loved by him. And that in and of itself makes him, that's a, that's a part of him that's good. Even though he's perpetrating all this evil and wrong, that's a part of him that's good. Well, then I can start loving him. He says, well, does that mean we just lay our guns down? Another sermon, another day. Okay? This is not a Jesus saying, uh, he's not preaching total pacifism. Again, another servant, another day. When you hear turn the other cheek, he's not saying everybody just lay down and, uh, and, and not defend your country, not defend your family, not defend yourself. You know, if someone's trying to take your life. It's not, it's not, it's hyperbole. He's speaking in a hyperbole so that we would know that our natural inclination, which is to hate back, should be replaced with our desire to love back wherever possible while still maintaining uh, a defense and, a, and an honoring of those that we love. Are you with me? I don't know if you are, but that's another sermon for another day. We love them anyway. We find the good when we do the good. Uh, when they curse us, <laughs> we love them by saying the good. 
This one gets a little bit more rubber meets the road stuff. Here's what Jesus says. He goes on and he says, bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. When people, when people speak wrongly of you, don't speak wrongly of them in return. I think, you know, reality television, television this is their entire format. Uh, get a bunch of catty women or men in a room, have them talk smack to each other personally, and then go off and have, like, closed-room diaries where they talk smack about people, uh, you know, apart from them, and then, you know, cut it all up, put some commercials in there, you've got a half an hour, people will watch it. You know why? Because that feeds the sin nature in us. That's right, you tell them. Kim, you tell Chloe, that's how it is. When she brings hate and smack, you bring hate and smack here. Smack here? I don't know if that works. Yeah, you make it worse. You try to one-up them. Verbally, beat them down. No, when people speak ill of us, we bless them with our words. This is a powerful thing. You got one. It's a powerful thing, man. Read James chapter 3. It'll set your world on fire. You know how it sets our world on fire? A lot of times we're just not careful with it. Someone comes to us with hate, and we determine that we're going to come back to them with the same kind of and we and we use our words to do it. I was reading a sermon by Martin Luther King before I came out. Uh, he wrote a sermon. Anybody see Selma? Great movie. Uh, but if you're if you're aware of the civil rights movement in America at all, you know it was born on this whole idea of love your enemies, do good those good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. It, it, it was it was it was passive in its nature. They didn't fight back, and it was it was at the behest of of King and the other leaders of the movement that this happened. And he, he wrote a sermon while he was in jail one night. He wrote a sermon on this on this text: "Love your enemies." And he, he talked about this this fact that uh, uh, well, he said a lot of great things. One, one of the things he says is the only way that you can truly destroy your enemy is to make him your friend. Isn't that interesting. And the only way you can make an enemy, your friend, is to love him. And the only way that you can love him is to do good to him when he hates you, to bless him when he curses you, to speak well of him, to find the good. You know what I'm waiting for? I'm waiting for the politician who makes a commercial that doesn't spend 30 seconds telling me how bad the other guy is. I don't even know if I'm going to care about what party he's in. I'm going to vote for him just out of principle on this stance alone. Are you with me? I think they'd win in a landslide because they'll have bought into what Martin Luther King and what Jesus has held out for us. You, you don't rip on the enemy. You love them with your words. Here's the third one. When you're abused, love your enemy by praying for their good. Some of you are like, oh, I pray for my enemies. Everybody might want to stand back when I'm praying for my enemies. But Jesus, he, he says it. He says, listen, uh, in the verse he says this, pray for those who abuse you. He doesn't say pray against those who abuse you. Could have said that. He says pray for those who abuse you. Some of us, we go to God with all of our hurts and angst, and we say, listen, this is what you got to do. You got to have Bill step out on 60 when that bus is coming. And then all my troubles will just go away. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. No, that's not what we pray. 
You don't pray that for the boss who makes your life miserable. You don't pray that for the spouse who's hard on you. You don't pray those things. You know what the best prayer you can ever pray for someone who is uh, either outside the faith and, and, and hating you from outside the faith or inside the faith and your pop-up enemy maybe for a little while? The best thing you can pray for them is that God's will would be done in their lives, that God would lead him or her to himself, that he'd transform them, he'd redeem them. That's the best prayer. And then here's the other reason I think that Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. It is so hard to stay ugly at someone that you're praying the good for. So here's what I tell someone is asking me this, how do I pray for an enemy? I don't know how to pray for an enemy. Just start. Any hard thing has to, you, if you're going to get through it, you've got to start. Tell me, anybody got a project that you just haven't started? It's been 5, 10, 20 years. Still not finished, is it? Want to know why? You didn't start. Hey, hard things. They, they just got to start. It, oh, I can't pray for my heart. Hey, that's fine. Uh, we understand that we, we aren't loving them with a, a, an Eros feeling love. We're loving them with an agape love. It's a love anyway love. So f- skip your heart. Who cares about your heart? Pray truth. Pray, pray with hope that your heart will follow someday. But even if it never does, pray. Now, but here's, 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 what, my, here's what my thought is. The more you pray for someone, your heart just can't help but go along. If you start looking at your enemy as a, as a human, as someone loved by God, as someone who is uh, a recipient or a potential recipient of the same grace that you've received, man, that's a, that's, that's a wall buster. Pray for them. Those are the actions. Find the good, do the good, speak the good, and pray the good. And then Jesus, when it comes to you know, loving our enemies, he gives us uh, some reactions. How do I love my, easy, uh, my enemies? With one typical reaction, let it go. Forgive. Move on. Let it go. Everybody sing the song. Let it go. All the kids are with me. Not all the adults are like, huh? Get with it, people. Frozen. Come on. All right. Anyway. With one reaction, this, 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 when it comes to loving our enemies, this is, this is listen, and these two things, they go together. You've got to love your enemies. You've got you to, man, you've got to choose to do those things, that, that, that active kind of love that, that, that seeks to find the good, do the good, uh, speak the good, and pray the good. But if you, listen, if you seek to do that and you fail to let things go, this is going to be short-lived. Forgiveness, letting things go, and being able to love your enemies, that, man, Hand in hand, got to have them, both of them. Can't do one without the other for long. Let it go. This is what Jesus teaches us. First thing he's going to teach us is that we need to let go of our right to pay back. When I was, when I was a young kid, we used to play Slug Bug. Anybody ever play Slug Bug? Slug Bug is this game where you look for Volkswagen rabbits, or not rabbits, beetles. Thank you, beetles. Rap, bug, that's dumb. Volkswagen beetles. And, and if you see one, you say the you know, slug bug, and then whatever the color of the car is, red, white, yellow, whatever. And then you can punch your sister. I loved this game growing up, right? It's like the one time I could legally smack my sister and, uh, and get away with it. It was part of the game. Because all, all you kids are like, why would you do this? Didn't have screens. Didn't have earphones, all right? 
You could play the ABC game, slug bug, or stare out the window on a long long ride anywhere. Are you with me? So all of us old people, that's what we did to get by. (laughs) Thank God for technology. We had this rule, though. If you said slug bug red and didn't say this, after the person you hit could hit you back. Slug bug red, no paybacks. You had to say that. We made this rule that if you forgot to say no paybacks, whoever you hit could hit you back. Now, that's not according to the scriptures. <laughs> but that was according to the game. But this is what Jesus just, he's, he's going to teach us now. He's going to teach us, hey, man, when, when people harm you, there's no paybacks. And it, it's, it's logical. You, listen, you cannot bring hate in response to hate and expect there to be anything but hate. Hate plus hate equals hate. But when you bring love as a response to hate, guess what there's a chance of? Healing, restoration, reconciliation. But hate plus hate, all that can produce is a greater hate. Let go of your right to payback. Jesus says this. He says, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. He's, listen, this sounds kind of weird to us. We're like, someone's going to take my jacket? What? Uh, but, but back in the day, as he's teaching this, it was very specific. If you were being excommunicated from the synagogue, you know what the last thing that happened to you was? The leader of the synagogue came up to you after everybody had determined that you had to be out because you weren't being a good Jew. The leader of the synagogue would come up to you, and he'd slap you in the face. That was the last thing. Now, that's not the most physically harming thing a person could do. I get the, you know, a beat down would have been far more, you know, physically painful. But an open hand slap, I mean, even today, it is a sign of disgrace and shame. Whatever you've just, whatever you've just said, whatever you've just done, that was shameful. Pa! And then you'd be gone forever from that synagogue. Now, big deal. If you're a Jew and you were kicked out of your synagogue, you were kicked out of the culture. You are no longer recognized as a fellow Jew. It's going to be hard to pay your bills. Family's not going to talk to you. It was the ultimate ender to the life that you had known before. So Jesus just got real specific. Hey, man, love your enemies. Find good, do good to those who hate you. Speak good, speak well of those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And when they kick you out of your synagogues, Turn the other cheek. Let them hit that one too. When they take your cloak, offer them your tunic. You know what the cloak was back then? Most of us had a choice of shirts to wear today. Does anybody have more than one shirt? Some of you are like, Mark, come on, it's America. Uh, most of the world has one shirt, at least the third world. They got, they got the one. And so if you take that from them, they're naked, which is universally a sign for shame and disgrace, Right? Back then, uh, your, your cloak, your outer garment, uh, was multi-purpose. It's what you worked in, what you, you know, played in, it's what you went, did everything in. And then at night, you would take it off and you would spread it over you. That was your blanket because you didn't have a linen closet. That was what kept you warm on the cold nights in Israel. You know what the uh, early persecutors of the church would do? They would take a person's cloak as a sign of, of them being outside the Jewish faith. Take their clothes. Just leave them in their undershirt. That was the tunic. And so people would have to walk around in their underwear, or the equivalent thereof. They'd have to sleep at night in the cold with nothing to keep them warm. It was just another way for them to be persecuted. 
And Jesus foretold of this. Hey, this is coming. And when it happens and they take your cloak, what should your attitude be? Take my underwear. Now, did he, was Jesus literally telling the Christians of the early world to give away their underwear? Just so you know, he doesn't want Christians to walk around naked. It's hyperbole. He's speaking for effect. He's saying this, no matter what wrong comes to you, return it with a right. He goes on and he says this. He talks about this. He says, let go of your right to be paid back. You get low of your right for payback, but you get low of your right to be paid back. Give to everyone who begs from you. It's more hyperbole here. If we gave to everybody who begged from us, who would be begging soon? Us, right? So he's not, he's not saying live the monastic life, get rid of everything, give it away. That, listen, if that's what God calls you to, great. I trust that he'll take care of you. But he's being hyperbolic again. He's saying, listen, have, your first mentality is to only give for what you can get back. I'm telling you, when people come and have need, you give to them without any hope of getting back. That's what he goes on to say. Give, give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away from your goods, do not demand them back. What's the world's economy? If I love you, you've got to love me back. If you don't love me back, if you don't pay me back, I'm not going to love you. Does this work in marriage? In married people? There have been days when your spouse hasn't been that lovely? Hopefully you kept loving them. And that's how marriages work. On the bad days, you love them anyway. You give anyway without hope of receiving back. He goes on, he says, as, as you wish uh, that others would do to you, do so to them. This is the golden rule. You probably grew up hearing it's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Heard that one? We call it the golden rule. Now, this is just kind of English Standard Version uh, translation of what Jesus said about the golden rule here in this sermon. What's his point? Hey, listen. In fact, this was a, par- a proverb that most of the religions had adopted in that day. And most of the religions had kind of taken a negative slant, slant on this. They basically said, listen, don't do to anybody what you don't want them to do to you. It was a preventative thing. If you want to live in harmony with people, just don't do to them what you don't want them to do to you. But Jesus wasn't about defense. He was about going on the offense. He was about living love out loud and loving anyway. And so he says, listen, man, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be prohibitive and not do what you don't want done. I I want you to be proactive, and I want you to go and do to people what you hope they'll do to you. And even if they don't do it back to you, this is still how I want you to live. Here's here's another question we need to answer. Why why do I love my enemies? Why would I do this, Mark? I mean, you're talking a bunch of stuff, okay, but why? Because we've been called to a higher call. Look look what it says here in these verses. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're no longer living the natural life. Here's what the natural life looks like. Go to the next verse so I can finish. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? What, What if you're like everybody else in the world who loves those who love them? Big whoop. He says, even the sinners love those who love them. He goes on and he says this. He says, if you do good to those who do good to you, big whoop. What benefit is that to you? Even the sinners do that. Want one more? I'll give you one more. He says this. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, if you give, hoping to receive in return, then what credit is that to you? Even the sinners lend to sinners and get back. You know what you want to be? This is what Jesus is saying to those who are following. 
You don't want to be like everybody else. Everybody else can be like everybody else. You be like me. You give without any expectation of receiving back. You love without the requirement that they love you back. Listen, if we've been saved supernaturally by a supernatural God, spiritually rescued from our sin, if we've been saved that way, then we've been called away from the natural way of doing things, from earth methods, earth methods. That's hard to say, from the way earth does stuff. We've been called to a, what I'll call, not supernatural, but supranatural. It's this above the natural. And Jesus' ways are, are outside the natural. Don't just settle for what the sinners are doing. Settle for, listen, strive for what your Savior's doing. Here's one more question. What do I get if I love my enemies? What do I get? Well, he answers that one for us too. He says, reiterates the command, love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And he says, your reward will be what? Great. How? Well, you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind. God is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Yeah. He says, here's your reward. You're going to be sons of the Most High. You're going to be daughters of the Most High. You're going to be sons and daughters of God. And some of you are like, well, wait a minute. I thought we became sons and daughters of God when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, right? Because that's salvation. That's, you put your faith in Jesus, what he did on the cross, and that's, that's how we become sons and daughters of God. That's what he's meaning, right? No, that's not what he's meaning. That's salvation. He's talking about sanctification. He's talking about this process that happens in your life and mine when we let go of, of, of old us and we become new us. We become who we are in Christ, who we are as sons and daughters of God. He says, listen, when you love your enemies, you look more like me than you do you. And for a follower of, of Jesus, for a, for a Christian, that is the greatest reward. To resemble our God, to be holy as he is holy. Another command from Scripture that seems impossible, right? That's our reward. We look more like pops than we do ourselves. But you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a two-sided reward. The other reward, this is actually in the Greek when he says you will be sons of the Most High God. He says you will look like. It's actually the, the Greek words there basically mean you're going to look like me. And what is the benefit of you in this world looking like God, acting like God, being like God? Well, guess what? There's a whole world of darkness out there. Men and women, you're going to work with them, going to school with them. They have... They don't, they don't know about God or they don't care about God or they've, they've been hurt by those who followed God somewhere and they got off the bus a long time ago. And if you are the one person in their lives who looks like and lives like the heavenly father who honors people and loves his enemies, when, when they're cursed, you, you bring blessings in return. When, when things are done wrong to you, you do right in return. When, 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 when your, your cheek is slapped, you turn the other one. When they take your coat, you're, here's my underwear. When you do that, when you live that way, the lights come on. The spiritual lights in a soul turn on. And they say, hey, that's not, that's not what I thought God was about. That, that, that's not what I was thinking the Christian thing was about. They're different. And we become like a fishing lure. And all these, <laughs> all these lost bass, stay with me, 
We're just kind of hanging out in the shoals, and all of a sudden, here comes this person who's different. And we're just kind of dangling out there in front of them, and they're like, oh. And just like you and I, anybody had that person in our life? They just look different, and you're sitting here as a result of them looking different. When you love your enemies, you become the Lord. You look different, and people respond to that. You want to know why we do this? I'll just I'll run through it real quick for you. We do this for all the reasons I gave you, but we do this because this is who God is. He loves his enemies. Don't believe me? Jesus, he healed hundreds, if not thousands of people and expected nothing in return. If you and I had the power to heal, anybody think we'd be like monetizing that a little bit? But he, he never put a charge. You never got a bill from Jesus. He gave without expecting to receive. He allowed himself to be arrested. One of the first things that happened is they blindfolded him and they started smacking him in the face. Did he put up his hands to defend himself? He could have called town 10,000 angels. I mean, don't you think, I mean, if I'm Jesus, I'm just killing one guard, just one guard. I'm just going to let everybody know I can. The rest of you go ahead and beat me up, but that dude is an incinerated pile of dust right there. That's if I'm Jesus. I'm just sending a message. But Jesus didn't even do that. They mocked him and said, hey, prophet, who's hitting you? Hey, prophet, who's hitting you? And he took it and turned the other cheek. They took his clothes. They gambled for him. Gambled for him at the base of the cross, mocking him as the king of the Jews. Did he do anything? No. He died. Allowing it all to be done. Having the power to stop it, he didn't. But why? Why does he do this? He was on a mission. He wanted to show the world the love of the Father. And the Father's love extends to those who hate him, who exclude him, who revile him and spurn him. Uh, We do this because our Savior does this. He did it for you and me. Good enough for him. Good enough for us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word, and uh, teach us to love our enemies. That's huge, but that's all I need to say. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great week. I'll be over here to say hi if you want to.